I've uh, really learned to mistrust your, your, those auto-correct or auto-complete things uh, when you're texting somebody. I'll just say this. Make sure that you proofread your text before you send it if you've done it audibly because sometimes it gets it wrong in some serious ways. And so... There you go, the limits of social media. My name is Greg Boyd. I'm a senior pastor here, Woodland Hills. Uh, I guess you don't say a senior pastor. I'm the senior pastor. Ooh. Um, and so it's really good to have you here. I'm glad that you're here and we're worshiping together. And the good news is that uh, six more months and spring is here. So <laughs> pray for these Condoleezza folks, man. This is their first winter. Uh, it could be interesting. And, uh, and let's make sure that they are really uh, well cared for, all right? Uh, pick up some that information uh, out there to uh, get some quotes and stuff for these, these folks. It's an honor to, to minister to them. Okay, so we've been in this series uh, called Interface, looking at how our kingdom ethics intersects with the social media and with technology and things of that sort. Uh, we really highlighted this, uh, what we're calling the principle of proportionality. And that's just, it's a general truth that can explain a lot of things. It's just that... Um, the potential that anything has for good is also going to be its potential for evil. The more good it can do or the more good that a person can do, the more evil they can do. Uh, and this is why God couldn't create a world that's guaranteed to all go right. Uh, there's this principle of proportionality. It's our free will. We can choose to do this amount of good, but we can also choose to do that amount of evil. We always have to be aware of this principle of proportionality. And it applies in an especially unique way to social media because social media is an amplifier. It's just a giant megaphone. And uh, amplifies everything. So it's got tremendous potential for good. Can do a lot of great things. But it's also got, we've got to always remember this, uh, a, a real potential for evil. It can unite people and rally them around causes. But it can also divide people and fragment society. So what it means is that because there's so much potential for good and so much potential for evil here, we have to handle it with care. Be very careful about it. So we've looked at different ways uh, that we have to do that. Some of the implications of that. Make sure that you have time for face-to-face relationships. Those are the really important ones, and some things, nothing can replace face-to-face. Uh, so, so put some parameters around the time that you're on social media. And we talked about integrity, about how it tends to be the case that when folks get online, they turn into different people. And, and we've got to walk with kingdom integrity. We ought to be the same wherever we go. We carry our, our kingdom values and seek first the kingdom wherever we go. So make sure that you're not being sucked into social media to become something that, that you, uh, it's not in line with who you truly are. There's one topic that we didn't discuss, and I don't think we even planned on discussing it, but it struck me yesterday morning as extremely important. Uh, and so I want to say a word about it. This isn't my sermon. Um, this is sort of a, a, a warm-up to my sermon, right? This is a pre-sermon sermon, all right? This is an introductory sermon. This, uh, today you're lucky. You get, a, you get two for the price of one. Two sermons for the price of one. I, woo. And don't, that doesn't mean I'm going to go 80 minutes, so don't worry. I'm talking mainly to parents, present parents and future parents, but also grandparents and anyone who has any kind of influence on young people and children. Yet we need to make sure, ask this question, is, is, there, is there a participation in social media and other technology? Is that helping or hindering their imagination? That's a hugely important topic. Is it helping or hurting their, their imagination? I feel kind of, I'm grateful that uh, back in my day, we didn't have all the social media. Back in those days, the dinosaurs. Now, we, we, had, we had radio and television. That was it. And we had to entertain ourselves. 
Go out and play. Find something to do. And so you make up worlds of imagination and, and make-believe. And in our case, uh, boys on my block, we spent most of our time killing each other. We're playing war all the time, which I wouldn't recommend. But at least we're imagining. Nowadays, you play war with video and they do all the killing for you. You don't have to even imagine it. It's so important that kids use their imagination, exercise that imagination. Uh, my, my, my mother allowed us to have one hour of television a day. That was, that was it. So we had to choose our shows carefully. And uh, if, if there's a conflict of shows at the same time, we only had one television set, and that was war. Uh, but uh, we, we, we managed to get it through somehow. So uh, I'd always watch Hogan's Heroes and Killigan's Island. Soon I came up in school. Hogan's Heroes. Some of you watched that? Hogan's Heroes, run that? Stupidest show. And then, and then we had, uh, yeah, okay. I, I just love it. I know nothing. <laughs> and it, just sit right back in your here, tale, a tale of a fateful trip. It started in a trip aboard a tiny ship. And then you know, when I was 11 or 12 years old, uh, I Dream of Genie came on, and I somehow lost interest in Hogan's Heroes. I don't know why. That all of a sudden seemed much more interesting. I just thought, man, it'd be, so, it'd be so great to have a genie in a bottle like that, wouldn't it? Woo, okay. Especially when you're 11 years old. I suppose that had a, probably a misogynistic impact on some young men. Uh, that's, worth, that's a different sermon. Okay, so, so, but we always had to use our imagination. What you want to avoid is passive entertainment. Uh, where they just watch. Because that's just, is developing a passive brain. I'm not putting a time limit on stuff, but uh, for kids, I mean, I'm glad my mom put an hour limit on it, though I didn't like it at the time. Um, if you use social media or technology, make sure that it's, 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 for young children, it's stuff that activates their imagination. A ton of research shows that, that encouraging imagination at a young age, reading is perfect, because you have to imagine the stuff you're reading about. But doing that at a young age is so important. It's a little bit like, I mean, you, you, we can learn to use our imagination throughout our life. That's been shown, the plasticity of the mind. So you don't, it's because you're old doesn't mean you can't start using your imagination in new ways, but it's much easier when you're younger. It's like, it's like learning a language. They say that if a child learns a second language, or a third, by the age of five, they'll be able to learn, they'll, they'll learn languages much easier the rest of their life. It's the same thing with imagination. You get an active imagination going on, and that will stay with you. And the thing is, is that aside from our basic bodily functions, everything we do involves our imagination. This is hugely important. Your ability to envision the future or an alternative future, to be motivated by a future vision. Uh, it, it's all about imagination. Empathy is all about imagination. Problem solving, all about imagination. We use it in every area. Relationships, all about imagination. Discipleship, growth, it's all about imagination. It's crucial that, 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 that kids learn how to flex that muscle early on. And as we teach around here all the time, our faith is all about imagination. Uh, it, to have faith, is, faith is the substance of things hoped for, uh, Hebrews 11.1. 1. And, and the conviction of things not seen. It's, it's holding the future as a substantial reality. That's your imagination. Imagination moves you. Eh, the more concrete it is, the more it develops a conviction that it will be so. And that's what motivates you to walk in a certain way. It's all about imagination. Make sure those kids are flexing that muscle all the time when they're young. I'll say one more thing about it. If I had to do it over again, I did some of this as I was raising my kids, but I didn't do enough of it because I didn't know then what I, did, what I know now. I would make it a number one priority to introduce Jesus into that child's imagination as early as possible. I'm talking as soon as they can start talking. Introduce Jesus into that imagination. Because the church always called that the inner sanctum. This is where, in your imagination, yeah, it can be make-believe, but this is, according to the church tradition, this is the inner sanctum, the inner sanctuary, 
where the truths of God become concrete and tangible and experiential and transformative. Imagination's had a central role to play uh, throughout church history. And it, it's now communing with Jesus in that way I think is just so crucial. I have a book out there called Seeing is Believing, if you want to find out more about that. It's called Cataphatic Prayer or Imaginative Prayer. So imagination is central to our faith. And, and, and it's so important to just introduce the child to Jesus very early on. I, I would do it just as like, your imaginary, uh, like, like an imaginary friend. It's just that this, this one is real. And so whatever you do with the Tooth Fairy and Santa Claus and Easter Bunny and those sorts of things, make sure Jesus is in a different category. But he is your imaginary friend, but this one is real, and he's with you all day long, and he's loving you all the time. And you can talk to him all the time, and he can talk to you. So to, to teach your child how to listen. Here's the thing about kids. You, you don't really, because we have to learn how not to hear God. They haven't learned that yet. And so it's the easiest thing in the world to tell them to listen to God. Do you hear God saying anything? They know what you're talking about. Uh, we unlearn that, and then we got to try to relearn it again when we're adults. Better policy is just to teach them it when they're young and let them ride it all the way to the top. I mean, it's, it's, uh, and so, so Jesus is just a reality. Make it part of their normal. That would subvert the number one problem that all of us adults have as kingdom people, and that is we, we are indoctrinated to compartmentalize. We got Jesus over here, religious church stuff, and then the rest of the secular world, and so we live our lives like functional atheists, except when we're thinking about Jesus. It ought not to be that way. It'll be the normal. Jesus is with you. In him we live and move and have our being. He's with you all the time. Be teaching your child that. And to, and to listen to, to, to Jesus. And have conversations with Jesus. Because Jesus is real. And Jesus wants to talk to our kids. Amen? He wants to talk to our kids. Some beautiful things can happen when we do that. There's a lady told me a couple of years ago where she prays with her kids every morning before they go to school. But it's not a little perfunctory prayer where you're like, oh, bless our day, goodbye. But it, it's rather they listen. They ask, you know, yeah, bless our day, but is there anything you want to say to us? And once in a while, her children will like, okay, I think Jesus is saying this. I see Jesus doing this. One time she told me that uh, Jesus told her little son, second grader, that he was supposed to, when he goes to school today, make sure that you look for somebody who's sitting alone and sit with them. And, and so during lunch, he's looking around, and sure enough, there's a little guy with Down syndromes on the end of the table sitting by himself. And so this guy goes and sits next to him, befriends him. Then his friends come over and join him. And now this little guy with Down syndrome is included in their gang. And that's how they ate the rest of the year. You see, that's kingdom, folks. That's kingdom stuff right there. We have this odd, and i got to watch it here because this is my first sermon. i got another one coming. But i, I got to say this much at least. We've got this odd idea in America. We really have this odd... Childhood sort of this, this, this zone where, where, you know, there's nothing really functional that they need to accomplish. There's a time for playing and learning, and that's it. And then when you turn 18, magical, all of a sudden, you have to be a responsible adult, and now God can really use you. Hogwash. Read the Bible. God uses, this is an artificial thing we have. There's little people, there's bigger people, but God uses all people, and we need to be empowering the little people to be used by God. Amen? Um, this is what hit me yesterday. Uh, Joel says, in, when Peter uh, repeats it in Acts 2, he says, in the latter days, in the, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit was poured out on very select individuals here and there, a little bit. But the prophecy in Joel that Peter quotes in Acts 2, it says, in the last days I'll pour out my spirit upon all flesh, upon all kinds of human beings. That's what it's saying there. And then he specifies, it's not going to be just the old wise men that are going to be getting uh, the spirit. That's how it was in the Old Testament. No, the men and the women and slave people and free people, the rich people and the poor people, the old people and the young people. And he says, your, your, your sons and daughters will dream dreams and have visions and they will prophesy. And the word that I just got, it was unusually clear. 
uh, was simply let your children prophesy. Let that verse be true. Incorporate that verse into the life of your church. Now, we've always taught our kids how to hear God and how to respond to God. But what I'm sensing here is that, that we haven't been tapping into them, empowering them to speak to us and to minister to us. And I don't know what that looks like. I don't have a program or anything like that. But I'm just laying out the, the, the principle here that there is an untapped force in the church. It's a little bit like, you know, those churches where women aren't allowed to really have any kind of leadership and stuff. I feel sorry for them because they're not tapping into a very, very, very important, valuable resource. The same might be hold true of our children. What untapped resource is there there that, that maybe God would want to use? I, I go to ICFIS uh, every couple of years over in London, an uh, Anabaptist movement over there, and they do empower their children, and it's beautiful. Um, man, you have a missionary give a little testimony, and then they want people to pray for him, and the kids and the teenagers get up there and start praying for this guy, and some of them get words to share with them, and it's just beautiful. It's just beautiful. And yes, you'll get some nonsense, but we get nonsense all the time anyways. <laughs> doesn't matter whether it's adults or children. Sometimes it'd be better to have the children because the adults are more childish than the children are, but you, know, you expect the mess. But the beauty of it can be powerful. Walking over there one time after a message, and an eight, nine, ten-year-old kid came up to me real short, and he says, hey, Pastor Boyd, I, I want to thank you for that nice message. And could I pray for you? <laughs> it's like, man, go ahead. And then he gets a word for me. You know, it, I don't know what this will look like, but, but be praying for that. God's doing something pretty cool right now in Echo. Uh, some things are being stirred up there in our children's church, and, and uh, there's just an excitement there. Uh, and let's see what this is going to look like. Empower your children. So parents, make space for free time, for, for, for imaginative play, and on social media and other technology, make sure that whatever they're using requires their imagination. Avoid passive entertainment as much as possible, and then invite Jesus into uh, that child's imagination. That is sermon number one. All right. No, I think the be Yeah, that's it for today. Have a good day, but... I, got, I do have a sermon number two. Okay. I, I appreciate that. Uh, keep that attitude, all right? <laughs> will, you say, will you be saying bring it five minutes from now? Because <laughs> this is going to bring it. This is going to bring it. And, and we just are okay with being out loud and honest about stuff here, right? Because we get our life from Christ, not from our opinions. And, and, and sometimes we got to shoot kind of straight here. So here's the deal. I'll start with this. James 1, verse 19 says, Let every, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Let everyone be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to become angry. Everybody, all the time, make note of this. This is important. He doesn't say take note of this before every verse. Just this one. Apparently, it's pretty important. Always be slow to anger and slow to speak, but be quick to listen. It's a weird metaphor. Be quick to listen. Usually you don't think about speed and quickness and, and listening going hand in hand, but that's what he does. And, and the imagery is just this. When a conversation starts, you beat the other person to the punch on listening. Be really quick. I actually go, listen. Don't talk and don't get angry. Just listen. Just listen. Very important verse in our day, because one of the downsides of social media in particular, one of the downsides of it is that if we're not careful, it can... Condition us to actually be very quick to speak and very quick to get angry and very slow to listen. In fact, it can bring you to the point where you don't want to listen at all. And it might even bring you to the point where you're not even capable of hearing anymore. Something that's got to be of great concern to us. In, in 1996, just as, as social media uh, was really starting to take off, the concept was there, it was just starting to take off, two experts at MIT 
wrote an essay, and, and it was, turned out to be quite prophetic. Uh, here's what they said 24 years ago. Individuals empowered to screen out material that does not conform to their existing preferences. This is what social media allows us to do. It does not conform to their existing preferences. May form virtual cliques, online cliques. Can you imagine that? Insulate themselves from opposing points of view and reinforce their biases. That was a pretty on-the-money prophecy. Internet users can seek out interactions with like-minded individuals who have similar values and thus become less likely to trust important decisions to people whose values differ from their own. Can you imagine how bad that would be if, if Fox News if, uh, didn't trust MSNBC for trustworthy news and vice versa? How terrible that would be. We've gone way beyond that one, folks. Uh, we, we, we passed that benchmark about 15 years ago. Uh, the loss of shared experiences and values may be harmful to the structure of democratic societies as well as decentralized organizations. Boom. Uh, there are some social scientists who are really worried about this. Uh, they argue that the number one, the most dangerous aspect of, of, of social media and technology in general is that it allows us to get the version of reality that we want. Uh, it empowers us to be selective, to self-select ourselves into uh, silos and echo chambers where our beliefs are always confirmed and never challenged. And see, some are wondering, how does a democracy work when that happens? When people begin to just form into groups, and it's, it's, not, it's not rocket science as to why we do this. It's, it's obvious. All of us like it when we find things that agree with us and confirm our beliefs because we love being right. right? We, we love, the pleasure centers of our brain get activated. Preached on this a couple months ago, the, right, the self-righteous mind, which is, by the way, the righteous mind is a really good book on this. We, our pleasure centers get activated. We love it. That's why we like to be around people who confirm our beliefs. And we hate it when we get challenged. You confront things that, 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 that disagree with your beliefs, especially if those beliefs are important to you. Well, our, our, our amygdala gets activated. We get irritated. We get a fight-or-flight reflex. So naturally, everyone self-selects into sameness. Whether it's ideological, religious, or whatever, we, 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 we find the, the, the echo chambers that agree with us. We love to get our things confirmed. Our pleasure centers are, are getting activated, and we never get challenged. But see, the longer you do that, the more your view becomes obvious to you. It's obviously true. Right? It's just obvious. It becomes self-evident. And the more obvious the rightfulness of your way of seeing things is, the more obvious it is that anyone who disagrees with you is either stupid or corrupt. Because a decent, smart person could never say what they say. And now you've lost the capacity to enter into the, their reasoning, uh, to, to, to see it from their perspective. Now you just demonize them. How does democracy work when people are absolutely siloed off from one another? And then events can happen now and then that, 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 call, that bring the, the, the different silos to the surface. And they, the silos have to start talking to each other. They start debating. But because all the people have been siloed into their, their sameness, they've self-selected into the group that just confirms their belief and never challenges, because of that, no one is in the mood to be quick to listen and slow to get angry and slow to speak. Rather, when they come together, it's all speak. You listen to me. The more obvious my views are right, the more obvious that is, the less I have any inclination to think that you've got anything to say to me. What a waste of time. No, you should listen to me. So I'm quick to talk, quick to get angry when you don't agree, and very slow to listen, and very frequently I wouldn't understand your position at all. 
That takes time, that takes energy. As kingdom ambassadors, as disciples of Jesus, as followers of the King of kings and Lord of lords, can we agree that whatever else being a Jesus follower entails, we can't participate in that? Would you agree with that? We can't participate in the fragmentation and siloing of society. As kingdom people who are called to love all people, try to understand all people, and if possible, reach all people, we've got to stay above the silos. We can't afford to let our brains get rigidified by talking in sameness. Are you following me on this? So this last week there was an event that brought, or last week there was an event that brought different interpretations to the surface. Revealed that, there, that, that, that folks can be living in very different worlds here in America. Uh, most of you, I'm sure, have heard this story. Uh, there's a police officer in Dallas, uh, Amber Geiger, and she walked into what she thought was, she said she thought was her apartment, and there's a black man there, and she ends up taking her gun out and shooting him, and he dies. And there's a trial, and of course, the trial is controversial. There's a lot of ifs, what about, da 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 unfairness. Well, you know, and, and that's, people disagree on that. Bottom line, though, is that she got convicted. Um, well, at, the, at, at her trial, to her sentencing, the brother of the man who was killed, his name is, is Brant Jean, an 18-year-old young man, and uh, he gave a, a very moving testimony about how, how, what his brother meant to him and what a great guy he was. And by all accounts, uh, this man, Bottom Gene was his name, um, was an outstanding person, a person of great faith and, and things like that. And then at the end of his testimony, he did something. It was called the hug that was heard or felt around the world. Um, and so I, I want to watch this clip, a real short clip. And as we watch it, just ask the question, what do you see here? And are you certain that your perception is correct? It just provides one of these teaching moments. What do you see here? Let's watch it. I don't know if this is possible, but can, can I give her a hug, please? Please? Yes. What do you see? Okay, so when I first saw this, I'll tell you, I was deeply moved. Uh, I got choked up. I thought that here in this darkness, in this dark place, in this, you know, here, here's, a, here's a, a bolt of lightning out of the kingdom. You know, a kingdom brave breaks through. Uh, I just thought it was a magnificent display of, of Christ-like forgiveness. And, and the, the, the social media lit up on that. And there were a lot of folks who just, wow, this is wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. And you assume that that's the whole story. It's wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. And whenever we think something's wonderful, 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 we don't like anyone raining on a parade. But there are some people who wanted to rain on that parade. There's a different perspective. Um, I learned about this different perspective the day after this happened. I got a rather irate email um, from a lady who was saying, you've got a pastor out of control. Uh, the pastor in question is our own Oshida Moore. And uh, she said she posted something where uh, she's putting race in front of forgiveness. She's telling her sons they don't need to forgive, uh, uh, her brown sons, they don't need to forgive police officers. Uh, she called me a racist and was treating me very unchristian and, and calling me other, other names and so on. Well, I know Oshida, and, and there's no way that can be true, but 
I have to go check it out. So I get on Facebook, and man, do I hate Facebook. I hate it. It is so, it's like, I'm watching my own brain. It's like ADHD. Where do you look? Where are you supposed to go? It's, who's talking? Who said that right there? And you, do the name refer to the thing above or the, the line in front? It's, ah! I, so, but I, I, so it takes me for like 45 minutes, and I finally found this conversation. It went on for a while, and I, I read through it. I didn't see everything else she just said, but I heard quite a bit. And uh, at first, I'll tell you, I, 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 I was puzzled and a little concerned because she ran to my parade. I was going over there with, oh, there's a yay, how's the tender hug? And she wasn't going, yay, what's up? What Christian would not say yay to that? Um, and, 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 and in fact, she, she, whenever you come to, her, her perspective was so different from the yay perspective that it would be hard for a person coming right, it'd be hard for a person coming right out of a yay moment to understand what she's saying. It's so different. In fact, whenever you read something that's very different from what you believe or what you assume to be true, whenever that's ha- be very careful. Because what you'll first notice are the points of disagreement, where their belief system collides with yours. That's what will stand out. And, the, and your amygdala will make sure that you notice that and you'll get angry about that. That may only be, that point of disagreement may only be 2% of what they're about. 98% you might be in agreement with, but what you're going to notice is the 2% you don't. And that 2% is going to seem really big. So whenever you read a, a, a perspective that's very different from yours, especially if it's totally new to you, uh, don't go on one reading. It, your, your reading will be distorted. You will amplify the points of disagreement to the point where it will, it will, it will blind you to everything else. So I read Oshida a second and third time. And, and then it became very clear that she, she was not saying anything what this lady was accusing her of. Uh, the words that were most different that stuck out to me that got me concerned were, I would not encourage my brown sons to do what, what, what Brant and Jean did. I was like, what? That's exemplar. What were you doing? What did you, oh, she, what you? But see, as I read on, well, she didn't say that they don't need to forgive. Of course, they have to forgive. Uh, what she was saying, and, and by the way, she applauded uh, Brant and Jean, as did every other African-American who commented that I read, who commented on this. They're not, they're not shaming him. They're saying he did a bad thing. They're just concerned about the social ramifications of this. Um, and so what Ashita was saying is this. Yes, that was beautiful in and of itself, but, but you need to take a broader perspective here. And, and, and see, forgiveness is important as a stepping stone to reconciliation, but it's not identical. And the concern here is that, and there's a history of this, is that when you have blacks forgiving whites, that's interpreted as reconciliation instead of just forgiveness on the way to reconciliation. And all the tough issues you got to talk about if you're ever going to get to reconciliation and justice, they get swept under the rug. Hey, it's all forgiven. Everything's wonderful. Which plays into a rather dominant white narrative that the real issue with racism, uh, with, with, with racial injustice and racial reconciliation, the real issue... Black people just won't forgive and forget. My gosh, slavery is 150 years ago. Let's just get on with things now. Not realizing the depth of issues and injustices that have been piled on one another since the Civil War and still going on to this day. So she's thinking about it systemically. So what she said was, I wouldn't encourage my brown sons to publicly forgive as he did for these reasons. And then she specified the reasons. And then she, she ends with this. Listen to what she has to say. Oshida says, white peacemakers, you need to learn to sit in the pain of this event and not rush to the joy or, quite frankly, the relief that the hug gives you. Ah, oh, it's all okay now. The hug, while resting in its mercy, 
only serves to short-circuit any progress towards dismantling white supremacy. Now somebody should say, bring it. Yeah, all right. This is what we need right now. We need to focus on dismantling the very racism and fear of black men that took Bottom Jean's life. Remember this, forgiveness is not peacemakers. Uh, forgiveness is not reconciliation. We are called to be reconcilers. Forgivers, yes, but forgiveness on the way to reconciling. So, white peacemakers, listen to the people of color in your context. If they're concerned about this, maybe you should be too. Maybe you won't get it at first. What are they talking about? What are they talking about? Because it's different from what you thought. And here's where it's so important to be quick to listen. Quick to listen. It doesn't make sense to you. Listen harder. Uh, don't default to the rightness of your own position. See, that is a perspective that I, as a white guy, it wouldn't come natural. I, I didn't, didn't, didn't think of that. Probably because I'm not a black woman trying to raise two brown sons in this current climate. That makes a difference. Now, it, it may be that, especially if you were in on this issue, uh, as I talk about this current system, uh, some white folks listening through podcasts, not in this auditorium for sure, but on podcasts, some of you might have this issue, where maybe already that gets your heart beating a little bit fast. He's going after a justice system? He's saying our justice system is not just here. He's going to bash police officer again? He always does that, you know. I'm anti-American. You always notice the difference without the, the context. Um, okay, listen, if, if, that is, if that's happening to you right now, I encourage you to just take a deep breath. Remind yourself that you don't know what you don't know. And lean in and listen. Okay, just keep listening. Just keep on listening. Don't prejudge it. There may be a slice of reality you don't know about. There may be some experiences that people go through that you don't know about. The systems always work for you, but does that mean the system always works? And see, if you're not careful, if, if, if you're siloed in a white world where your white perspectives are always being confirmed and never challenged, then you just assume it's obvious. <laughs> you see, everything's obvious. So what do these folks have to say to you? Nothing. It's a, you, you got it all down. If you're siloed in their whiteness, you just assume this is true for everybody. What's true for you is true for you. You normalize your perspective, and then anyone who disagrees with you, well, they're abnormal by definition. If you're obviously true, they're obviously wrong. And since you're smart, they must be dumb. Or since you really care, they must not really care. One of the two, you pick. Listen to what uh, Jelani Greenridge says. He's an African-American pastor who uh, wrote on this. He says, as a pastor, I would love to talk at length about transcendent, the transcendent beauty of that moment, of forgiveness and the powerful inner strength on display. And here's the thing. I, there's so many white folks who are criticizing these people for shaming Brant uh, Jean for doing what he did. Why would you shame a kid for doing such a beautiful Christian thing? I didn't find one person. Not Ashita, not, 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 not Jelani Greenridge, uh, Jamar uh, Tisby. No one bashed that kid. They all applauded him in the context. It's the social ramifications. It's the bigger picture. They're just saying, zoom out and look at the bigger picture. That's all they're saying. I'd love to do that, but in many cases, if I were to do that, it would promote cheap grace. Experience has taught me to be wary of those who trumpet black forgiveness without advocating for black people. And I imagine there's some black people listening to this message who can say amen to that. Such people tend to use those miraculous acts of forgiveness as an opportunity to shut down discussions about racial injustice, primarily because of their intuitive sense that such a conversation would cost them something of value. What if that perspective's correct? What if, what if he's really hitting on a the truth there? As I think he is, so I don't think he's making this up. 
There's a long history of this. It's uncomfortable to really start talking about the tough stuff, the real issues, the injustices, looking at that stuff. Well, you might, you might get a little defensive. You might suggest that your perspective is not absolutely right. There might be some apologizing necessary. There might be some work to do. You see, as a white guy, I've got to remember that I'm not part of a people group that have been shut out, oppressed, marginalized, and often abused by the justice system here in America. I, I, that's not my experience. And, and, and for that reason, I don't, when I look at an event, and this is true for white people in general, when I see this forgiveness, I see the individuals. Ah, individual forgiving individuals, beautiful. And it is beautiful, for sure. But see, I, I think that way because I don't bump into the system. The system was established by white men, for white men initially, uh, and has always worked for white men and for white people in general. And you know a system's working for you when you don't notice it, right? It's working for you. If, if I ever get pulled over, I know exactly why. Uh, there's, there's no guessing there. And, and that's why it'd be easy for your white person to assume that, well, the police are always just and the justice system's always fair. But that's where you need to listen because your experience is not the norm for all people. And because of that, see, if you are bumping up against a system, if you have a son that's in prison for life because of third time possessing marijuana in a state where it's still legal, it's now legal to smoke marijuana, while the white kid he used to do it with is served five years, it's done on a third offense, well, you bump into the system. When you get pulled over because you're in the wrong neighborhood or being followed because you're in the wrong store or whatever, you're bumping into the system. So you're aware of the system. You live with this system. You watch out for the system, the man. And, and, and so the system factors into how you interpret everything. You look at this, and you're thinking about the system. What does this have for the system? Most white people aren't thinking that way. But it allows you to see something that you otherwise wouldn't see. And something that white people wouldn't see unless they're willing to listen and, and be slow to speak and slow to anger. And here's the thing. I don't feel guilty at all because that interpretation didn't come to me. Uh, I... I my experience is limited, like your experience is limited, and all of us have a myopic worldview, which is why we all need to be listening to each other. The fact that I was so surprised that this interpretation may mean that I'm too siloed in a white environment. My life is maybe too homogenous. Maybe if I was more immersed in the black experience, this would have occurred to me. Maybe it'll occur two years from now, it's not ready for it yet. I think white people, I'm talking to my white brothers and sisters here, we always have to be asking that question. Are we too siloed in our whiteness, where our white perspective is always being confirmed and never challenged? Because if that's happening, you're going to be looking at the world through white eyes and you won't understand the non-white perspective. For God's sake and the kingdom's sake, uh, we've got to broaden our perspectives. The kingdom is, if it's going to be this inclusive thing that God wants it to be, and that is what he wants it to be, then our brains have got to be inclusive, which means we can't get siloed. We can't get siloed. Stay above the silos. You're not guilty for not knowing what you don't know. But where we sin is when we arrogantly forget or refuse to accept that we don't know what we don't know. Because now you think you know everything. <laughs> no, remember what you don't know. Because there's, there's, it works for you doesn't mean it works for everybody. Because you see it this way doesn't mean that's the only way to see it. Uh, You've you got to be aware that we don't know what we don't know, which is why we have to listen. And we, we compile sin with sin when... We linger in that echo chamber and get hardened in that echo chamber and get rigidified in that echo chamber and now your perception becomes a reality in that echo chamber and now it's obvious to you that your way is the right way of things, seeing things and anyone disagree as well. Something wrong with them. And what makes this particularly hard, and I'm talking to my white brothers and sisters here, is that white people aren't used to not getting their way, statistically speaking. 
or having people disagree with them. Because for centuries, up until very recently, actually, the white perspective was the perspective. You don't talk about perspectives. It wasn't even pluralistic. It's like, it's founded by white people, for white people. Yeah, you got slaves and, and, and then we free them, but it's run by white people. And, 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 and so we're not used to having to bump up against competing perspectives. We've been siloed from the start. And we're just now getting out of that siloing. All the more reason why now. If ever it was important to be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to get angry, it is now in this context we find ourselves. It is. And see, as one great thing about social media is that it's given a voice to people who didn't have a voice before. That's wonderful. And we're catching things on tape and uh, a video that, 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 that didn't used to get seen by most white people. So the, the, it's getting harder and harder to ignore this slice of America. Uh, when, when it's on video and there's it's outlining evidence, it's getting increasingly hard to say, oh, that they're just playing a race card or whatever. Uh, but see, that's the good side of social media. There's a downside. And the downside is this. Even though all this is coming out and we're getting this information there, it's possible for you just to run back to your silo and reinterpret that from the perspective of your silo. And now you just get a little deeper in your silo, in your echo chamber, a little hardened in your categories, and it does no good whatsoever. Folks, in, in, in a culture where uh, people are increasingly quick to get angry and quick to speak and slow to listen, we've got to be listeners. And that requires humility. That requires acknowledging that we don't know what we don't know. This hug perfectly illustrates the good and the bad of uh, social media. Um, Unfortunately, when these African-American folks gave this systemic interpretation of this hug, the hug that was felt around the world, uh, a lot of white folks weren't slow to uh, speaking, slow to get angry, um, and quick to listen. Instead, they were quick to speak and then quick, quicker to get angry. Oshida uh, and, and Jamar and Jelani uh, got comments like this. I had breakfast with... Uh, uh, Jamar Tisby on, on Friday, and he shared some of these. You're allowing, some of these folks said, because they don't understand it. They're, they're, they're in the white silos. They don't get it. You're waiting on my parade. You're allowing racial anger to undermine the beauty of this kingdom moment. Uh, you're allowing your racial anger to compromise the beauty of the gospel. Why do you have to racialize everything and ruin it? It was already racialized. Why would you encourage black men to harbor unforgiveness, which none of them said, but all of them were accused of? Uh, if you can't celebrate forgiveness, I question whether you're even a Christian. Your racial anger has entered your heart and prevents you from seeing the truth. Spoken by a white person to... And what was so interesting is that the African-American pieces, like Oshida's and Jamar, they, they were so thoughtful. They, 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 they were careful. They, they carefully laid it all out. The response to them was thoughtless. No, you guys are just, 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 and they're not hearing. And even when, when she would try to explain, it was just like, nope, 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 you're right in my parade. I mean, they're coming at this with the assumption that their view is obviously the correct view and tells the whole story. And so if you're going to rain on the parade, they're going to get ticked off. And it's sad. It, it's sad. Operating out of silos, unable to understand one another. Let me say, I, got on, I finally got on Oshida's Facebook, finally, and, and I'm going to brag on her for a little bit. Uh, she never called anyone a racist or used any name whatsoever. Uh, maybe some of those who follow her said that to the woman and she got confused or whatever, but Oshida 
And everything I read, in fact, not only did she not name call, she was exemplar in the way that she responded to these folks. They came at her, some of them came at her with insults, and, and some of it was really strong, uh, ad hominem stuff, and she always responded in, I was worried for her as I was reading this thread, it's like, oh my gosh, but she would always respond very gently, very Christ-like, very loving. And when a conversation had run its course and was going nowhere, she said, well, look, I'm, I'm going to shut the conversation down now. But if you want to talk with me offline, sometimes it's better to talk face-to-face. -face. It was incredibly gracious, which I was really happy to see, because she was going to be preaching on kingdom ethics on the Internet two days from now. <laughs> and, uh, and I'm happy to report, this lady practices what she preaches. Take hats off to Oshida. Amen. Oh, one other thing I want to say is this. Okay, when she posted that post or blog, do you call them post or blog? I, I was going to. Man, it opened up a hornet's nest of warfare that was really unusual, incredible. Uh, she was getting from all directions. And some of it online, nasty stuff online. Some of it offline, nasty stuff online. Some stuff had nothing to do with online or offline stuff. She gets a bizarre car wreck and comes out with a sickness real quick. And it got to the point where I said to her, okay, look, at, oh, she, you're getting slammed here. You got a target on your back. The good news is that you must be worth shooting at because the enemy is using a lot of ammo on you. So that's good news. <laughs> you're, you're, you're worth shooting at. But if you need to take this week off from preaching, uh, I can fill in or Dan or Dave. We'll, 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 we'll take it. And, and I, I love this. Her attitude was like, uh, look, I'm not going to let the enemy use some ignorant white people to detract me and get me sidelined. I got a message I got to give. She's got moxie. <laughs> All right. No, no, that, that was it, 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 a real strength mixed with the tenderness. Uh, that is exactly what's called for. Uh, folks, as Christians, as followers of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, we've got to stay above the silos. And that is a whole lot easier to say than it is to do. Um, we have to be in a, in a culture that is increasingly fragmented and siloed. Uh, and I don't know where that's going. We've got to be the ones who stay above the silos and are quick to listen and slow to speak and, and, and slow to get angry. Um, you know, the Bible tells us that we're to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, right? And, and we're to be, to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Okay, for that to happen, and we take, we're supposed to take every thought captive to Jesus Christ, 2 Corinthians 10. For that to happen, it means by definition we can't be letting a silo take our brain captive. Uh, for me to be uh, conformed to the image of Jesus Christ means I can't be conformed to the image of my whiteness. Paul says don't be conformed to the pattern of this world. Well, part of the pattern of this world is the pattern of whiteness. Uh, I, and I can't let my thoughts be taken captive to my whiteness. But that's exactly what will happen, and it will happen inevitably if my whole environment is white. If I'm in a white silo, it can't help but happen. You'll be transformed to that degree in the, in the image of something that's other than Jesus. We're to be conformed to the image of Jesus. And I'm not talking about the Jesus, the nice American white Jesus who's a champion of all things America, okay? I'm not talking about Mr. America Jesus. I'm talking about the Bible Jesus, the biblical Jesus. And the biblical Jesus is the one who gave his life to create one new humanity, to tear down every single wall that separates people. He, told, he, di he died. This is atonement stuff here, okay? So this is really, really important. He died to tear down, the, tear down the silos. He died to tear down the walls, every kind of wall that separates human beings, all the artificial social structures that we impose on people and give meaning to, oh, you're this and that of that, and you're this and that of that. All of that are to be done, abolished, annihilated in Jesus Christ. Amen. Gender, class, race, ideology economy, it doesn't matter. All those things. That's what it means to be one in Christ and begin to see each other and treat each other as absolute equals in Christ. Jesus Christ died to create a community where 
There would be people who would be, have a humility to hear, a humility to listen, a desire to be expanded. We don't get our life from being right. We, we say this all the time. Get our life from Christ. And so what that means is we ought to be able to take every one of our particular beliefs and interpretations, whatever, and put it out there. And instead of seeing differences as a problem, see, Jesus died to create a community in which those differences are beautiful and they're acknowledged as beautiful and they're held up as beautiful because they are beautiful. The one new humanity that puts on display the wonderful diversity of, that God created us to be, all the different ways of reflecting God's image. Uh, don't let your mind get siloed. No, remember that you don't know what you don't know. Now, and I, I say one final word. It applies to all of us, but especially to us white folks. Um, whatever you can do to dehomogenize your life, whatever you can do to diversify your life, whatever you can do to expand your horizon and, and, and experience, whatever you can do to get out of a white homogenous zone, do it. Do it, really. It is so important. In this day and age especially, in a pluralistic culture like ours where we're called to reach all people and know and love all people. And keep your mind nimble. Look, at, here's a practice I began this year and, and I, I think it's paying dividends. I listen to MSNBC Sometimes I listen to Fox News. Sometimes I listen to uh, CNN. Sometimes I listen to the BBC. Sometimes, and there's, there's other outlets as well. And if you do that, it's really fun and interesting because you see the different worlds that people are living in. Something happens, and one, it's the end of the universe. The other one doesn't even mention it. It's just people live in different universes, and and and, and these aren't the most radical either. If you go on the internet, there's there's, there's, there's it goes even beyond that. But see, if you only are watching one, don't just I got my one trustworthy news station. Every station has got some spin on it. I don't care how hard they try to be objective. No, get it from different sources. And make sure that you're always hearing and listening from a perspective that doesn't agree with you. It's the only... Do I find stuff sometimes that I think is nuts? Yeah. It's like, that, that's crazy. How, how on earth? But see, if you ever have a thing where you say, that's crazy, and you're talking about a large group of people, maybe it's crazy, maybe they're just insane, maybe they're spawn of Satan, I don't know. But more likely, more likely, you haven't tried hard enough to listen. You haven't tried to understand. You don't have to agree with it. But we do have to love people, all people, and we do have to try to understand people, all people. And in doing that, we put the love of God on display. Right? I don't know where this culture is going to go. I don't know how we walk back from this siloing and fragmentation. And some social scientists are saying, we've turned a corner we can't go back from. That's too bad. But you know what? It's a great opportunity for the church to be a beacon on the hill. Amen. If we are willing to be a people who really are hearing each other, and willing to do some hard work because it's not always easy. The reason why that for, the forgiveness and all is done thing works so well is because people want that. Oh, can we just wave a magic wand? There's some tough conversations that, that, that need to be had. Uh, but you know what? It's all worth it. It's all worth it because it's all kingdom and it's all beautiful. Don't let your brains get siloed and parents, make sure your kids are imagining. Would you stand up? Yeah. Woo! Yes. Hallelujah. Yeah. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Um, yeah, thank you. As we leave here, can we do it as the people that are committed to having our minds dedicated to Christ, conformed to Christ, and not to anything else? And to do that, can we be people who are committed to keeping an open mind, a broad mind, and staying above the silos? If you're in agreement with that, oh, if you're here this morning and have any need that could use prayer, come on up here to the stairs, and we got a prayer team that would love to pray with you. And if you want to find out what it is to be a follower of Jesus, come up here and they'd love to explain that to, uh, to you. And as we leave here, can we do it as the people that are committed to staying above the silos? Minds conformed to Jesus Christ and nothing else. If you're in agreement with that, say amen. amen. Go out and love your neighbors.